0: Welcome to Readers and Writers, the podcast for people who love to read and for folks who love to write. I'm Colin Smith with Unlocking the Bible. We are at the Gospel Coalition Conference, and with me today is Paul Tripp, and we are going to talk together about your book, Paul Parenting 14 Gospel Principles that can radically change your family and uh, love this book thank you for writing it and thank you for your previous work as well I particularly appreciated uh, What Did You Expect which mm. has been so helpful we use it in the Orchard Church That's where wonderful. I serve and uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands has just been another very special contribution uh, for which I'm so grateful thank you. i got to tell you about this book I have two married sons staying with uh, our younger son and daughter-in-law and she saw this book as I was looking at it last night preparing for our conversation and I quote my daughter-in-law said that is the best book on parenting it totally transformed my view of behavior (laughs) so that's from my daughter-in-law that's wonderful uh, so thank you as a grandfather uh for for that blessing so now you've gone back to the subject because you've been on the subject of parenting Mm -hmm. before and what drew you to go back to it again with this book
1: I was approached about writing another parenting book I really didn't have any interest in doing that but because that thought was in my mind, I began to listen to parents on ministry weekends. I listened to the stories they told of their discouragement, their frustration, the stories they told of their strategies. And I, I became more and more convinced that in parenting, we're asking the law to do what yeah. only grace can accomplish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know, if well-meaning Christian parents have reduced parenting down to a set of rules yep. and a set of enforcements, and if all our children needed was a set of rules and a set of enforcements, Jesus would have never had to come. Right. Right. And. Yeah. I think part of the frustration of parents is they are asking the law to do what it was never intended to do, and they're facing the frustration of that.
0: Yeah, and so hence the significance of the subtitle 14 Gospel uh, Principles. And so here's my perception and why I'm so thrilled about the book. I came to the States 20 years ago and noticed at that time that there were a number of good Christian families buying into a model of parenting that was essentially about structure, essentially about discipline, essentially about behavior control. That's right. And 20 years on, uh, I've been deeply moved by parents, the same parents, who look back and say, I wouldn't go down that path again. Mm. And I have several testimonies that have deeply moved Mm. uh, me in that regard. So it seems to me that there's a kind of swing of the pendulum, you're addressing that directly. Is that how you perceive it as well, that there's a sense of people saying,
1: "It, it doesn't work? Absolutely, and it doesn't work. Listen, God's law is a wonderful thing. It does a great job of exposing sin. It does a wonderful job as a guide for your life but it has no ability to rescue and transform the hearts of our children. None. Right,
0: right. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. and so at some point, if you're honest as a parent, you're gonna say, what I've tried doesn't work. Right, yeah. And uh, your chapter on the law, I mean, here's the
0: principle, and uh, it's so well stated, I love it. Principle, your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. So, tell me, what does moving from a sort of behavioral, law-based model to something that's looking to the gospel to bring change in uh,
1: uh,
0: children's life, what what does that actually look like? Can you
1: open that up for us? Well, the first thing I want to say is one of the struggles for me is when I talk about God's grace in parenting, parents here permissive parenting.
0: Right, right. Yeah. They, they hear that... No that, that means no boundaries, right, yeah. no
1: rules, you tolerate whatever. And here's what you need to understand. God's grace never calls wrong right. Right. If wrong were right, there'd be no need for grace. Right. The assumption of grace is that wrong is wrong. Mm. But instead of moving toward my children with just rules, and enforcement, I move toward them asking the question, what is God seeking to reveal, to do, to teach this moment in this child's life and how can I be part of it? Let me me say it this way. If you're a parent and your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin, weakness, and failure of your children, it's never an accident, it's never an interruption, it's never a hassle, it's always grace. Mm -hmm. God loves that child. He's put him in a family of faith and he will reveal the need of that child to you so you can be an instrument of his rescue and redemption. That's parenting. Right. So right. what is it that God wants me to communicate those, those mysteries of the universe? Maybe what's the idolatry in my child's heart? What's the, the natural rebellion that's being revealed here? The autonomy and self-rule, the lie of self-sufficiency. What are those things that the child needs to understand are operating inside of him, and then what do I find in the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's a solution to right, that? Right. You know, our children don't know why they do the things they do. Right? Yeah. They have no yeah. idea. Yeah. I mean, I've never said to my child, why did you do that? And they've said to me, well, Dad, I'm an idolater, of course. You should expect worse <laughs> from me. And so it's my job to capture those moments to unfold the mysteries of the gospel of grace because... Listen, a child can't confess what he hasn't first grieved, right. and he yeah. can't grieve what he doesn't see, yeah. and he can't repent of what he hasn't confessed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the process of parenting. What are some
0: typical idols in the lives, particularly of younger children? What, what would be an example of the, the sort of idolatries of the heart that a parent might see and be able to identify, particularly with younger children? Well, the
1: easiest, most obvious one in a younger child is self-rule. Yeah. It's autonomy. Yeah. you know that. That fight over what to eat for dinner is not about diet. This child hasn't read the paleo diet book (laughs) and said, this is the way I want to eat. The child has no view of diet at all. It's autonomy. The child is saying, you will not rule me and you will not tell me what to put in my mouth. Right. Or the idol of self-sufficiency. Right. That says, I have everything I need inside of myself to live as I'm supposed to live. Little Jimmy's trying to tie a shoe, he has no idea how to make a, a a bow. But mom reaches down to help him, he slaps away her hand. Right. Those are opportunities to help the child understand things that are ruling his or her heart. Right. And they won't get it all at three years old, but they're getting bits and pieces that become assembled in a worldview. Every time I have that conversation, I give the Spirit of God an opportunity to work conviction right. in the heart of this child. Right, yeah. How do parents
0: discern um, where to use the law? I mean there is a place for saying we 're just going to do this now and uh, you know where a teachable moment with regards to principle of the gospel applies? Or, because your, you, question, should, your question are, is
1: interesting because yeah. it's, it's not either or, it's both and.
0: Yeah, well, that's why I'm asking it that way because you say your children need God's law and so um, it's not wrong for a parent, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, to be uh, laying down a rule at a
1: particular point. Sure, so our children need law. And they need the enforcement of yeah, law, yeah. but it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. Law will never be their savior. Right. And so I think about the way God works in our life. He doesn't suspend his law so we yeah. would know his grace. Right, right. In fact, it's the operation of his law that teaches us our need for grace. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we finally realize it's a standard we can't keep. Right. And in spiritual frustration, we say, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Yeah, 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 indeed. That's the right use of the law. So it's never, is this a moment of law or a moment of grace? It's a law-grace of balance that's operating all the time for us. I love the
0: way that you've mined and applied the doctrine of sin. I mean, you, you do this in, in your material on marriage, and you're really doing the same thing, I think, mm. uh, here. There are other huge doctrines here, doctrine of grace and so forth. But you really get at, as a parent, we're sinful parents and grandparents, and there's a place in which uh, that needs to be made clear and, and uh, contributed. And our, our children are, are not little paragons of virtue. They're, they're born sinners. Talk about how you've taken these theological convictions and then applied them into the dynamic of the family?
1: Well, I was many, many, many years ago reading John Owen on the mortification of sin. That's such a good book, isn't it? And yeah. I got to a place where he made a point, and it must have been 13, 14 pages of application. By the, by the time he was done, I was weeping. Huh. And I thought, this is how theology is meant to be handled. Right. I think of myself as a theologian. I think that's what I've been called to. But I don't think theology is an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And the end is a radically transformed life. So I'm always thinking, what are the living street level implications of this item of theology? i I'm, I'm I've begun the work on a systematic theology that won't look like any systematic theology you've ever ever read because what I do is I introduce the doctrine enough for you to understand its biblical roots and understand the content of that doctrine and then the rest of the writing is what does it look like to live in light of this doctrine at my work in my marriage in my family because I just think that we've let theology be an end in itself not a means to an end.
0: Now uh, you raise the whole issue of identity here if you are not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for identity in your children. Um, That resonated um, uh, with me. I think immediately folks reading that are going to find, yeah, yeah. Uh, Talk about how that uh, works out uh, for
1: us. Well, human beings are are always assigning to themselves some kind of identity. And there's only two places to look. You get your identity vertically or you get your identity horizontally. The role of children in God's economy is not to make a parent have a sense of worth, it's not to give me a reason to get up in the morning, Right. it's not to give me an inner sense of well-being, it's not to give me reputation in the surrounding community, that's a horrible burden to lay on children. In fact, that is asking a child to be your own personal savior. Right. One. Because those are the things that only Jesus will ever give me, right? And it produces a severe burden on children and angst inside of a parent. I mean, think about this: our children are going to get up in the morning and say, "How today can I give mom and dad a sense of worth?" <laughs> they just don't. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And so, uh, what I have to do is rest in my identity in Christ that in Christ, I really do find everything I need for life and godliness. I'm fully supplied by Him, and so I don't need to look at that in my children, and that that means I'm not too focused on success, I'm not too focused on reputation, I'm not too focused on, on control, I'm not focused on doing rather than being, those are all the results of looking for identity in my children.
0: Right, yeah, and then I guess that that works out uh, too in terms of uh, wanting to fulfill things that have not happened in one's own life uh, through one's children and uh, this kind of vicarious um, uh, living through the child and, and, and so forth. So oh, it's, th- it's,
1: it's there all over the place. I, I counseled a mom whose son was breaking under the load of all of her expectations. His day from early in the morning to late at night was filled with responsibilities and he was not getting up to go to school he was literally breaking and i began to just help her to understand how that she was living vicariously through her son she was asking his success to give her identity and she stood up in my office and said i didn't come for you to counsel me i came for you to counsel my son and she grabbed him and walked out of the room Wow. I literally wanted to run after her and grab that boy and take him home with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've thought many times, what, is, what has happened to this young man? He was carrying the burden of his mother's sense of well being.
0: Wow. May God use the reflection on that conversation to bring a greater degree of wisdom. We would you, pray. you must have touched a nerve sure. in what you said that created that reaction.
1: Well, I, th- I think it was actually a recognition of the truthfulness and a fear of the truthfulness of what I said yes. that caused that reaction. Yeah, she,
0: she wasn't ready to absorb yeah, it, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Another principle that I find so helpful here, they're all marvelous, but picking out this one on character, principles stated this way, not all of the wrong your children do is a direct rebellion to authority. Much of the wrong is the result of a lack of character. Uh, can, can you tease out that distinction
1: for us? Sure. You, you Again, if you look at the biblical model, God doesn 't just by means of of the conviction and the forgiveness of justification, establish his authority over my heart he 's concerned about my character the entire rest of the move of his grace we call the sanctification is what right dealing with character yeah. Yeah. a process of transforming me at the level of my character right. and so that's our model for parenting. Yep. It's the wrong that I'm dealing with is not always a result of self-conscious, intentional rebellion, yep. Yep. but a lack of character. If I need help and my child is sitting there, he's doing nothing and, and he doesn't offer me help, that's a character issue. And what I love about the, how the Bible deals with this is that the Bible attaches character deficiency to worship. That's Romans 1. Mm-hmm. When I worship the creation, I will not respond as the Creator has called me to worship. So that child is not responding to his mother because in that moment, he's worshiping the idol of pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. pleasure a bad thing? No, it's not, but it must not rule your heart. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so every time God gives me a character opportunity, it's an opportunity to talk about the most significant thing in the human existence. The most significant issue of the heart is who or what you will worship.
0: What would be some language that a parent might, might use to just frame that for a child, to begin to open up that kind of an insight?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the, the language of desire. Mm-hmm. What were you wanting? What were you getting? Right. What was working for you? Right. In, so questions rather and, and than statements at yeah, that point. Draw it yeah. out
0: because you want them to
1: see it. And, and you know, a background principle that's, that's not in the book is insightful people are not the people with the right answers. Mm. Insightful people are the people with the right questions. Because you don't get to the right answers without the right questions. So I want to bless my children with questions, good, rich gospel questions, they could never ask themselves. Because that question then causes them to think about things that are profoundly important. Yeah,
0: that's marvelous. It really is. And I, I love, love the way that you speak about sanctification. I, I read somewhere a comment to the effect of, you know, don't expect God to do in the life of your children in three months what he did in your own life in 30 years, you know? And, and that's a danger for parents, isn't and, and it? That we expect something that doesn't go with the stage of life.
1: Part of what the book talks about is parenting is a process, not an event. Yeah, if there were right. a process mentality, we're always dealing with an unfinished process and that's what God's called you to sign on for in the same way that he is so dramatically and gloriously patient with me, God's not done with me yet. I woke up this morning in desperate need of parenting and my father didn't say to me, I am so tired of having to do this. How many times are going to have to have this conversation with you again? (laughs) He he greets me with his patient grace once again. I love
0: that. What do you hope people will take from this book uh, when they finish finished reading it?
1: I sort of facetiously and not so facetiously use the illustration of what Alfred Adler said. He was a disciple of Freud when somebody asked him why he was, what he tried to accomplish in therapy and he said, I try to spit in people's soup. <laughs> well, it's sort of <laughs> an ugly example, but what it means is if someone spit in your soup, you can't go back there again. My goal in this book is to give people such an attractive and wonderful and liberating view of parenting that they say, I don't want to go back to doing what I was doing before.
0: The book is Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family by Paul Tripp. Paul, thank you so much for giving us the time in this You're conversation. My, my thank pleasure. you for writing this book. For more, check out unlockingthebible.org.